You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode, second episode of our series with the Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame. Have my awesome co-host here, Mr. Justin Lenhart. Thanks so much again for having us. And I'm again, like we did the first episode, this is something that, you know, it's going to be awesome and, and going through and just meeting all these amazing people who are Oklahoma Sports Hall of Famers. Uh, and we have one in front of us today, uh, Mr. Jeff Bennett. Thank you so much. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, you know, I'm glad to do it. Taking the time out to come down here, you know, uh, you know you're, you're a busy man, I'm sure. And just looking at the stuff that you've accomplished, it's, it's pretty incredible, you know, and, and I can't wait to share this story. So yeah, Justin... Go. Jeff's got a great story to tell. I'm happy he's here. He's one of my favorite Hall of Famers. He's always been great to work with and tremendous athlete, Olympian, All-American. I can't say enough good things about Jeff. Great guy. Yeah. Um, Oklahoma Christian University, so it kind of rivals being that I went to SNU, but we'll let that slide for the next hour. <laughs> won't bring anything up. I'm sure there's a big basketball rivalry somewhere. Uh, and golf was a huge rivalry for me as well, playing against Oklahoma Christian. But um, take us back. You know, you, you grew up in Vanita in grew Oklahoma. Grew up in Vanita, and uh, I was a pole vaulter, a long jumper, hurdler in high school. Didn't get very many offers for scholarships, but I did get a letter from Oklahoma Baptist University to go on a Saturday morning, so my high school coach took me down to OBU. We talked to the coach. He said that uh, his program was mostly designed for distance runners, but he had a friend in Oklahoma City that might be interested. And so he called Coach Vaughn at Oklahoma Christian. Coach Vaughn said yes, and I'm on over. Yeah. So we went over, met Coach Vaughn, got a tour of the campus, the rest is history. So you ha- did you have like a huge passion for athletics from a young age? Yes. What happened was I was watching, uh, watching the 1960 Olympics on black and white TV and saw Bob Richards pole vaulting. And uh, I decided that's kind of what I wanted to do. Kind of little, so I didn't play football or anything. And so as soon as I got old enough, uh, to go out for track, then I went out for track and started pole vaulting and learned some other things along the way. Yeah, like pole vaulting to me, it just, it scares me. Like <laughs> never having done it before or just, I mean, when you're younger, you know, you, just, you don't have no fear or whatever. You just kind of, yeah, I can do this. But running down a sprint track with a giant pole, hoping that you sticks in the ground and then going up over this bar is just something that blows my mind. Yeah, and when I started... We had a sawdust pit, just so you had not only worry about getting old bar, but you had to worry about landing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What um, I mean, what was it that you said you saw him, and obviously, you know, in the Olympics, and that inspired you to the pole vault? But was that were you were you interested in other track and field events prior to that, or was that kind of your full way into track and field? That was my full way into track and field. And once I, I got on the team, then um, in addition to pole vaulting, I listened to what the coach was telling the hurdlers and the long jumpers and just kind of decided I wanted to do some of that too. So, so that was like it was a developmental thing where – Pole vaulting started it, but then all the other things seemed like they were kind of fun too. So, 
Did you ever have a moment during the pole vaulting where you thought, man, I don't know about pole vaulting, or was it something you just took to and stuck with? Whether it was, it was landing in the sand or the sawdust pit or whatever, was there anything that turned you off? No, 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 no. Once I, once I started doing it and got the feel of like flying through the air, then it was just challenging to see how much higher it could go. So yeah. so, it kind of built on itself. And you were a state champion too in high school, right? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And they didn't want to take you at OBU even though you were a state champion? Well, but that's because his program didn't have a lot of field events. Gotcha. So okay. we were just dealing with runners. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like running either. <laughs> so, you, you know, you, you go to Oklahoma Christian, and then where does the, you think, I'm going to do the decathlon and come with all these other sports? Well, it was during my uh, sophomore year that the NAIA, which is the uh-huh. division we were in at the time, announced that they were going to start a decathlon in uh, the 1969 season yeah so my coach noticed that I was I could do three of the events already and I was always kind of messing with the shot put or trying to high jump so he he asked me if I wanted to do it if I thought I'd like to do it and uh, I thought it'd be fun and uh, so I said yeah we let's let's try it and so we started uh, working on the decathlon at that point and so throughout my uh, sophomore year, I was really concentrating on the hurdles and the, the pole vault. Actually uh, won the national championship in AI in the 400 hurdles that year. Yeah. And then the next year, we started working on the decathlon. So I kind of got hooked up with our throwers, tried to get a little bit stronger. I was 5'8 and weighed about 145. <laughs> and uh, most decathlons are a lot big. Decathlons are a lot bigger than that. So Right. So so we started doing all this stuff to get bigger and stronger. I got stronger, but I didn't get much bigger. I think I, think I gained about five pounds <laughs> in the next two or three years. All that, all that running. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. But that was your really first introduction to it. You're talking about late 60s. Yeah. And the Olympics comes around in 1972, so this was a quick education, really. I mean, you must have really took to it and really been a natural. It, it worked out really well because that first year, I scored enough points to qualify for the Olympic trials for 1968. Okay. And so they had an Olympic training camp out in uh, Lake Tahoe because the Olympics were going to be at altitude. So I went out there and, and I got uh, about eight weeks of really good experience with those guys. And, and I was like a kid in a candy store because these were people I read about in track and field news and saw on television. And uh, when it was all said and done and the final trials came along, I came in number five. So I'm thinking, oh, if, if I'm number five after a year, if I put in the work, in four years, I should be able to make this team. Yeah. So that's that's when the light came on that right. it was a possibility. And and what was it like showing up to that camp and being around all of these famous people that you've read about and watched? And like, what was it like, kind of matching up to those as uh, well? It was it was it was very exciting for me, and, and it was a a good learning experience to see 
people like Bill Toomey and uh, some of those guys that won the Olympics and how they train. Yeah. And just being in that atmosphere. And uh, that helped me a whole lot in knowing how to prepare for the next four years to get ready. Yeah. Was there anything that they really did differently compared to what you had done in a year? Um, not a whole lot differently, but just um, just some of the technique things. Learned a little bit more about techniques, and I learned a little bit more about time management and everything. Yeah. So that helped. Was there a discipline um, that was part of the decathlon that I don't want to say was your least favorite, but was the most challenging? Yes, the discus. Okay. I never never got very good at the discus. Is that just a size and strength thing, or was it a, just a you just weren't into it, or? I think it's mostly size and strength. Yeah. Just. Yeah, most of those discus guys are beasts. Yeah. <laughs> so, that one's the one. I I felt like I did okay in the shot for my size and everything, but the discus I always felt like. It could have been better, but it just never got there, so. Yeah, so do you know you were a NIA champion in, in college, and then you graduate, the Olympics comes around, but during this time, you go to the military as well, is that right? Right. So what happened there was, I uh, graduated in 70, uh, got a teaching job, and I'd been teaching for about two weeks, and I went down to buy a new car, and the new car dealer said, asked me about my draft status, because my draft number was like 61. And uh, I said, well, I hadn't checked on that, but I'd been on student deferment. He said, well, you need to check on that before you buy this car. So I, I called them, and they said, your letter's in the mail. That's a nice sure car enough, salesman. Two days later, <laughs> yeah. there it was. Yeah. And so yeah. what I thought would be a bad thing ended up being a great advantage because the Army had an Army track team. And uh, once I got through basic, wrote a letter to special services and gave them all my information. And so I was picked up by the Army track team, so that took care of training, yeah. getting the meets, all of that. So the Army took care of my training and everything. And then once I qualified for a national team in 71, then I was kind of temporary duty to the AAU for a couple of months. Yeah, I'm sure they were, the Army were proud to have you on, how, proud to have you, you know, serve your country as well as represent your country at the Olympics yeah. too. Won the International Military Games decathlon in 1971 yeah. in Finland. So that was, that was a big deal. So yeah, you kind of took that all the way around and ran with it then. I mean, the, you know, I could see how a young guy getting out of college with a bright future Gets that letter. Yeah, and you I did. mean, you know, people today, they don't really wrap their head around it, especially if they don't understand history. We're talking about Vietnam War era. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I mean, we're in the never-ending war right now, but there is no draft. Yeah. And so I think, you know, if you could just talk a little bit more about that, kind of how that impacted you initially and how you were able to kind of make it, like you said, a positive. Well, the thing that, that happened was uh, back when they instituted the draft, Everybody got a number from one to 365. And then once you got your number, then when, when they started drafting, they started number one and went, went from there. So, you know, the people with the 300s, 
they never got drafted because the draft was over before they ever got that far. But <clears throat> being number 61, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I knew that there was a chance that I would get drafted. Um, and I knew that the Army had a track team, and, and based on the fact that I was a national champion with the NAIA and won both the first two NAIA decathlons, that it wouldn't be any problem for me to get picked up by, that, by the Army team. Interesting thing happened is I got a letter in January. Uh, I went in in October, got a letter in January that said that um, I was going to be picked up on the Army track team when the team assembled in March. And then uh, in late February, I got this thing called, I came down on a levy to report to San Francisco. And everybody that reported to San Francisco went to Vietnam. So it said that I would be reporting to San Francisco on March the 19th. And then my track team letter came and said I report to track team on March the 3rd. <laughs> the best letter you've ever received. 16 days, right? That yeah. changed your life. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I didn't really uh, go to Vietnam, but I spent uh, about six months of, of both of my years in the Army on the Army track team. Yeah. What was it like for family at that time? When it was mom and dad just kind of hoping, praying that you'd end up getting picked up for the, mil for the, you know, the track team stuff? Well, it was, it was like a foregone conclusion that if you were on the national level that you'd get picked up for the team if you wanted to. Okay. And so I knew that that, that was going to happen. And I knew that I was going to be on the track team. Even when I got the letter from Vietnam, I knew it wasn't, wasn't going to happen because they had started giving me two hours a day duty time to train. Okay, good, yeah. And so it was already in work. So it was kind of a, an awakening to know that it could happen, but it was reassuring to know that, that the track team was going to take precedence. Yeah, yeah, you're not like sitting every day watching the mailman, like hopefully giving <laughs> you a letter saying, come on, let's go, it's time for, I need to train, I don't want to go overseas, you know. Right, I didn't have to do that, so yeah. that was good. And, and the Army track team meant Southern California, and uh, they made sure that we got to all the meets around there and everything, and then if, when we qualified for a national team, then we would be temporarily signed to go with that team. And so it was, uh, it was a blessing to, to be on that team and be able to, to train and have to worry about making a living and doing those things. Yeah. So June 71, you know, you win the international military games, right, the decathlon that. Right. And then shortly after, you qualify and go to Munich in 72. Right. What was that kind of process like of just being around the team, traveling out there, and, and then being on camp? Uh, it was uh, it was exciting and challenging. I mean, I I enjoyed the competition, and uh, I was looking forward to the Olympic trials. Uh, I had been performing well uh, most of the 1971-72 seasons, and so I was in the top two or three in the country. And it was just a matter of the, the stress is that in the U.S. it doesn't matter how good you are and how well you've been doing, if you don't do it on that day, yeah. then you don't make the team. And so the stress was, uh, 
leading up to the final trials in 72 to put everything together and make sure that I got on the team. So yeah. once, once that happened, then it was like a big load lifted. Right. Just being on, is, is the, I was the qualifying the process like just like a normal decathlon? You just have the points and then yes. top, you just take the top, was it, you said top five? Top three. Top three guys. And where, so, yeah. where do you place in the qualifying? Second. Okay. I, it was the first time in a decathlon that I got beat in the 1500 by Bruce Jenner because Bruce had to run fast in the 1500 to make the team. And I already had enough points that I was going to be on the teams. So I, I didn't run the sprint the last lap like I usually would. Okay. That was comforting. Was, um, was there a big competition jump when you started in international competitions from uh, collegiate? I know some of the other Olympians that are in the Hall of Fame, when I've talked to them, like the wrestlers in particular, they talk about how this jump is so massive once they started international competition outside the, of collegiate. The difference was with the uh, Eastern European nations, because those guys were all supported by the government and, and, you know, that's all they did. And so the jump wasn't massive, but it was significant. I mean, you could see the difference. Did you ever have any suspicions of the Eastern Europeans, maybe getting a little chemical help? Um, <laughs> we, no, know, we know what happened a yeah, with a lot of those teams. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, really didn't, I really didn't think about that. Yeah. Um, at the time, I was just concerned about doing my thing sure. and doing the best I could do. And uh, really, uh, in those games, it was just a couple of little things that, that kept me off the podium, so. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite a small team, isn't it? It's like you, Bruce Jenner, and then Jeff Bannister was the right. team. And it's, you know, like I said, it, mentally at decathlon, it's like a 10 marathons or whatever it is. And mentally, I think like that, because it's 10 events, you've got to like, you know, you, you can't just be like, oh, I've had a bad one, I, now I have nine more. I've got to really, you can't get down on yourself, right? You have right. to mentally just be there. So it takes so much more than just one event to... It's, it's like you have to do that event, and then once that's done, then you put it on the shelf and go to the next event, and you can mull over it the night after, but yeah. you can't do it during that day because yeah. then it'll affect your other events. So it's, yeah. it's, it really uh, does take some concentration, and uh, you really do have to be able to, uh, if you had a, have a bad event then you really have to put that aside and go on to the next ones. Yeah. So you fly out to Germany, fly out to Munich, and land and just get set. How long does it take for you till, like, race day or till this first event? We actually flew to Norway and spent uh, about a week in Oslo and then on to Munich. And we got to Munich about uh, three weeks before the decathlon mm -hmm. so we had two and a half weeks to kind of get acclimated and do our last uh peak training to get ready for it yeah and so that was a that was a good time i mean because you you got to be on the track and everything i think the the biggest uh thrill of the whole thing was being 
uh, on that field on competition day with 90,000 people. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was really something. That was your biggest crowd? That's my biggest crowd. Yeah. <laughs> what That's was a uh, crowd. <laughs> yeah for track and especially yeah. track and field stuff, right? It's you know it's a giant soccer stadium kind of feeling that you you just have in. And the 90, first day of the decathlon is is also a day when when someone like uh, the the two hundred or the four hundred, a couple of those really high level races were being run, so the stands were packed. Yeah. Yeah. And well, the decathlon's really big in Europe too. Yeah. Uh, so how long does the like it's not all in one day, right? It's two more days. two days, yeah. But it's that's quite a lot of events to do in two days. Well, I mean, they have it. They have it set up so where you have a short race, three field events, and a long race each day. Okay. So, what happens is you run 100 meters, and so that kind of gets you warmed up for the long jump because that's a sprint, and then you have the shot put and high jump, which are two field events that really don't take a lot out of you as far as mm-hmm. stamina or anything. And and so those kind of get you ready for the 400. Yeah, because the 400's just the animal yeah, out of all of them, isn't it? It's brutal. Yeah. What was the uh, opening ceremony like, just being with the team? Oh, um, thrilling. I, I can say it was thrilling to just be down there and uh, big crowd and marching. Uh, really uh, proud to be a member of the U.S. team, wear those colors. Yeah. And uh, then we had to have our little plastic wraps for the pigeons because <laughs> they do a flyover. But that was a that was a highlight. Yeah. Did Did you know we have another Hall of Famer, Wayne Wells, was on the '72 team. He was a wrestler. Did you know Wayne going I, into that? Or I knew Wayne. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I assume a couple Okies going out there was kind of neat. Yeah. Is there anyone else on the team that just kind of like that you you just read about and and only seen on TV, and then when you got to meet them, it was kind of like just a really cool experience. Uh, not really, cause I, cause of that camp in '68. Yeah, they were there. Right, but All no, no one, not, not outside outside of like your sport. Was there anybody else that you kind of sprinters or anything like that from other countries? Mm-hmm. Anybody? Nobody that really stood out. No. No. You were focused, right? I yeah. was focused. You were there to get a job done. Yeah. <laughs> so tell tell us about the event. You know, you you finished. Was it fourth? You finished? I finished fourth. I was ten points out of third. Um, the first day was a good day. The second day, uh, in the U.S. in the decathlon, we always run the hurdles in every other lane, so that you don't have any fear of getting your arms tangled up because hurdlers swing your arms and all that stuff. When the Olympics, you're in every lane. And so when I, run, when I ran the hurdles, I swung my left arm out, and the guy on that side swung his right-hand arm out, and he and I got tangled up on the first two hurdles, and I ran my slowest time in, like, years yeah. in that race because of that tangle up at the start. So I ended up running a, like a 15.58, which 15.58 is really slow. But I usually ran between like 14.8 or 15.2 or 3. Mm-hmm. And 15 points a, a tenth. Yeah. You know, yeah. If that hadn't happened, then that would have been a possibility that I would have been right. like second, third or second. But, you know, it was like, that was just luck of the draw. Mm-hmm. And then the other incident that 
that happened was they uh, had a pole vaulting controversy because of the poles that were being used. And uh, they actually would not let us use the poles that we'd been practicing with because they hadn't been on the market for a year. But one of the, the guy that came in third got to use one of those. Oh, you're kidding me. And uh, we protested, showed them the markings and all that, and they just kind of waved their hands. And, oh, that's, yeah, that's and so sickening. Those that two is. things probably kept me off the podium. But even at that, it was, it was a tremendous experience. I wouldn't trade it for yeah. the world. What was your best event? Pole vault. Pole vault. But at, 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 the Olymp- at that, those two days, what was your best performance? Pole vault. Was pole vault? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And you were the top American, right? Right. Yeah. I finished fourth. Yeah. Uh, Bruce finished tenth. And uh, Bannister got tangled up with somebody in hers and fell down. Yeah. So he he was at the tail end. Right. It's not bad, is it? <laughs> Coming here, like yeah. getting into it for having a year's training, and then you know going to the going to the training camp and think, yeah, I, I think I can do this. I'm going to yeah. go for it. Four years later, you're on the team. You're in Munich, and you finish fourth, top American. Like it's that's pretty amazing. <laughs> and it's all with individual sports, and then track and field. I mean, in any sport, anything can go wrong. Mm-hmm. But just having run track in high school, not even at a level close to what he's talking about, I mean, little things like that always happen. A block wasn't set right, or I mean, anything could happen. And I see it all the time with athletes. I think it's what people don't appreciate about athletes a lot is how mentally strong the top athletes, like Mm -hmm. Jeff was in the world, have to be, you know? Um, Was there a point in your development as you came of age at OCU where that mental matched your physical abilities. Because when, when we've talked to some other athletes, that's one thing a lot of them say is, I always could do stuff physically, but it was when I could get mentally, you know, at that same level that I began to become a pro or become an international competitor. I think um, I have this internal thing, and even when I was young, that whenever I did something, I wanted to do it well, wanted to be one of the best. And I worked hard at it. And so that same thought process continued all the way through. So it wasn't uh, like it happened because I'm on this stage, but it happened because that's my internal makeup. I just, I just had that drive yeah. to, to want to do well. And um, when I started on the decathlon, then I was willing to do the things you needed to do to, to get better, to spend extra time in the weight room, to uh, get up in the mornings and run miles to get decent at the 1500, yeah. uh, those kind of things. And so I think my internal makeup was the thing that kept me going and was uh, a driving force. Yeah. yeah, the mental part is what Almost every athlete we've talked to in this Hall of Fame, they say it's right there with your physical training. If you can get, whether it's a calming thing you do or an you know, aggressive thing you do or whatever you do, they said it's so important because all these things come up. You hit a guy, the judges maybe throw you a curveball with the poles. <laughs> I'll leave it at that, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, There's and a lot, you- not just competing and pushing yourself, but... 
being you, able to put the things out of your control behind you and moving forward. You have to be mentally stable enough, especially with 10 events, yeah. to be able to shake off anything that, little thing that might go wrong. Uh, and you also have to be uh, steady enough to where when you get a really good performance, you don't dwell on that and let that affect the next event. Right. Yeah, you can't be too ahead of yourself and be like, oh, I'm flying, I got this, no big deal. And then something happens and right. it brings you right back down to earth. So you, but, you really, have to, really have to concentrate for two days. Yeah. Now, I don't think everyone listening probably like, you have to talk about this because it was that year and it's famous. So we'll touch on it a little bit, but I don't want to dive into it too much. But obviously the 72 Olympics is very famous for what went on, you know, the terror attack or whatever it was that happened. How did that affect anything that you were doing? What were you around at that time? What, what was it like? Well, the, the thing happened about three days before the, the decathlon. Okay. And the first thought, um, once we we knew about it was the thought of what's going to happen next and uh, the germans were real good they beefed up security and everything like that so we felt safe after that and then uh, they announced that they were going to have a day of memorial and then they were going to continue the games and that was a big relief because you know it would have been really frustrating kind of like the 1980 people that made the team and then the team didn't go. Yeah. So to be in Munich and to be ready and then they call off the games and you don't get to compete. And for so many of us, it's, it's a one-time deal. You know, right. You, you see a lot of athletes that do three or four, but for the majority, it, it's a one-time deal. And so uh, the big relief was when they announced that they were going to finish finish the games. Yeah. That, that it, that's that's great, isn't it? Because like I said, four every four years, and it, it it blows my mind that people who do three or four, you know, some of the the swimmers or the uh, there's a lady I think who did the the Russian lady who does the ice skating or whatever, like she's yeah. done four or five, and until you think, well, that's four years between. It's crazy how they do it, but yeah, like I said, having just the one opportunity and having if that possibly taken away from you, I'm sure just that would have been a pretty sad to you know to do that but good thing that they they fixed it they did what they did and and you got to continue and, and yeah, compete it, it turned out well yeah overall. yeah so you finished the games um back to the military i assume right back to the military but yeah. i was only i finished the games in august and i was due to uh get out of the military in october so Finished the games, got out of the military, went back to teaching. And one of my school teacher friends uh, talked me into trying to sign up for one year of the National Guard. So I did that, and then that was pretty good, and it matched up good to school teaching. So and then I stayed in the National Guard for 30 years. Yeah. Did yeah. you ever have to go anywhere, get called up? Or? Um, I actually volunteered to uh, support the Bosnian conflict, and I worked in the headquarters that mm-hmm. kind of uh, orchestrated that Bosnian conflict in 96, 97. Yeah. So where, where did you, you said teaching, where did you teach? I taught biology and earth science. And then I was a high school counselor, and I finished up at the high school as a ninth grade principal. Retired from that, 
And then I took a job at Oklahoma Christian working in the dean's office for 14 years as right. the uh, discipline officer but at the during, college. During your teaching, you were an assistant coach. Is that right? You did assistant coaching for the track? At Oklahoma uh, Christian. Yeah. yeah. Just out of passion and wanting to still be around the team and working out and stuff? Yeah, and I, I actually competed till like 1977. Okay. Just kind of having some fun. Nothing real serious, but... After doing the Olympics, it was like I've done kind of all I want to do. Was there any drive well, tried, to, be, to I make, out for Olympics to again make in the next one? Yeah. And uh, in '76, um, I was like, I was in a duel between me and Fred Samara to see who was going to be the third person on the team. And uh, in one of my workouts a couple of weeks prior to, I kind of tweaked my hamstring, and. Uh, then on my second long jump in the trials, I pulled my hamstring, did a nose dive in the pit, and that was the end of that. Yeah. But I had a good run. And did you try and make the 80 after that, or no, you just, no. Um, yeah. Old and tired. Right, it's eight, you know, eight years, 10 years of training, it's, it takes a huge toll on the body, especially doing 10 events, you know, yeah. it's not like you well, just. Well, I, I was slowing down, so I, I knew it was it was time, yeah. and I I had told myself when I started that that I would compete until I answered all the what if questions like what if I had what if I had so I answered all those by seventy seven and and I haven't had any regrets from walking away. Yeah, that's it's pretty amazing the yeah. stuff that you've done and and just could you know still be doing a lot of the coaching stuff you do now. Um, well, take us from that kind of like I said you, you were in the dean's office for 14 years right so you worked there and then obviously still had a passion for track and yeah, field while I was, I was doing in the dean's there. office I was also coaching yeah. track and I, I started off helping with uh, the sprinters and, and the jumpers in some kind of way it, it kind of rotated and with different people coming and everything I ended up uh, the last six or seven years I've worked exclusively with the throwers shot, put, discus, javelin, and hammer throwers. And that's kind of a neat group to work with. Yeah, those guys aren't really, well, I say the guys who do the individual events, they're not really runners, are they? But when you're working with decathletes, everyone does a bunch of other stuff as well. Right. So and you I've had a couple of decathletes along the way, but yeah. uh, right now we don't have any multi-event people out there, so. Yeah, and you're still very much involved with the coaching to this day? Right. Are you... You are the coach, right? Is that right? No, yeah. I'm the assistant coach. He does. Yeah. Nice place to be. Three assistants. They take care of all that administrative stuff, and all we, us assistants, all we have to do is work with the athletes. The best job in the best, house. Best job in, <laughs> in town. So I retired from the dean's office in 2016, and uh, I fill up my mornings driving for Uber. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some great stories as you pick, you pick somebody up. Like, oh, what did you do? Oh, I, I was an Olympian. Yeah, I was a for the Olympics. I won a few national titles. Won a couple of international titles. Uh, assume, we, don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't talk about that uh, stuff when I'm driving. Yeah. Unless somebody asks. You know, yeah. A lot of times they'll ask. And then... You get into it a little bit? Yeah. What about yeah. Your, uh, your, your students and your, co your, your the kids you were training? Did they know going in, like, who you were? the greatest athlete to ever be at Oklahoma Christian University, one of the greatest athletes to ever come out of the state of Oklahoma. Period. Well, I, I think they know that I'm 
I'm the, the, the best athlete. I won the best athletes to come out of Oklahoma Christian. And uh, then they figure out the Olympic thing, and then they're, it, yeah. it gets their attention. Oh, I bet. And uh, there's a certain amount of respect that comes yeah. with knowing that you've been there and done that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I, I really enjoy working with them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you still hold a lot of the records, right? I only hold one record, oh. the Catalan record. Okay. I had the 400-meter uh, hurdle record until about three years ago, and uh, one of our guys from Deer Creek actually broke that record. Does he still have it? He's got it. Okay. That must be really cool to Hannah have that record, but everyone who says they have a record always wants the kind of unselfish, unselfish part of them wants it to be beaten, right? They want yeah. to progress. And if you're a coach as well, you always want someone to just keep going and, and beat that record. I would like for somebody to come along and beat that record, but I don't see that happening. No. With the decathlon, because I scored, uh, at that time, 8,000 was the uh, standard for being a good decathlon. I scored 8,072, which was... 19 points less than the American collegiate record for the decathlon yeah. at that time. That's a lot higher than that now, but back then. Has the event's like, structure changed since? No. no? Well, that's a, I guess that's a great thing for records, because sometimes you, know, you look back in time on people who had records, and now something's changed, the sport's changed a little bit, and the rec- it's just uh, it's not the same, is it? It's really hard to beat that record that was been set 30 years ago, because it's just different now. Yeah. But they, that's something that's really cool. The only thing that's changed in the uh, in the decathlon is the scoring table for, like, the pole vault and the 1500. And that's because people are jumping a lot higher and running a lot faster yeah. in those two. I assume some equipment has gotten better, too, as far as Equipment's the poles gotten better, and yeah. everything everybody uses. Uh, Training techniques sure. have changed. Sure. Yeah. So what was it like when... Uh, Justin reached out and was like, "Hey, do you want, do you want to be a Hall of Famer? How how was that? <laughs> Tell me about that experience. When, when did that come about?" Uh, uh, you know, I didn't, I hadn't thought about the Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame. I was in my high school Hall of Fame and then the NAIA Hall of Fame and uh-huh. Oklahoma Christian Hall of Fame, and uh, so I just figured, you know, if it happens, it happens. Right. I hadn't even thought about it, and then I got that letter. And uh, I was excited to be in the company of the people that are in the Hall of Fame here in yeah. Oklahoma. We had a lot of good athletes. Do you remember who was in the class with you at the time? Who was in my class? Nah, I don't know. No? I'm trying to think. It's we'll only, cut, we'll it's cut only that been out. like four years, but <laughs> I'm having yeah. senior moments these yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, heck, I work here, and I'm like, who was in that class? Uh, no, that was a great class, and when, when when we bring kids and we bring people through, especially older kids, high school, middle school, high school, and then adult tour groups, you see the, the, the what I call the popular names, the front page names, but I always point out Jeff because I tell people, because Jim Thorpe won gold medal in the pentathlon decathlon. Outside of Jim Thorpe, there's Jeff Bennett, as far as Oklahoma decathletes. And then when I explain everything that Jeff accomplished, people are like, well, hell, I didn't even know this. And I'm like, well, that's why we're here, <laughs> is to get these stories out, because it's kind of like Will Shields went in this year for football. And he was an offensive lineman. 
And people know Barry Sanders, Thurman Thomas, all these skill position guys in football. And everyone comes up to me and says, who's the greatest football player in the Hall of Fame? I'm like, the greatest football player to ever come out of Oklahoma, period, is Will Shields. But I tell people... I was like, who's that? You talk about Jim Thorpe and everything. I, the two greatest athletes to ever come out of Oklahoma, overall athletes, are Jim Thorpe and Jeff Bennett, period. And people look at me like, what? And I said, no, here's the deal. And then by the time they leave this place, they said, what an amazing athlete. What an amazing individual. Here's a guy drafted in the military, takes a lemon, makes lemonade out of that, and then is off and running 72 Olympics and short of a couple things, yeah. would have been standing on the podium. And then you look at everything he accomplished in college, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. So I think it's fantastic he got in. I always say, when everybody gets in, I always say it's late. They should have been in right. sooner. Jeff definitely should have come in sooner. Mm -hmm. um, but, but you know, there was a guy, one of the guys in my class was 92 years old. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Never too late. No, it's never too late. And, you know, we have 250 nominees on that nominee list that we pull anywhere from two to six from every year. And when I tell people I wasn't born here, but I moved here when I was four and outside of a few years in graduate school, I've been here my whole life in Oklahoma. And I always tell people athletes, country singers and astronauts, there ain't nothing better in Oklahoma <laughs> per capita. I'd stand toe to toe with those. And I would put Jeff up at the top of that list with anybody. I mean, when you look at decathletes and track and field athletes, that's all around athletics there. There's yeah. no doubt about it. So, Which so. it's, you'd think that you know, athletics would probably come from one of the mountain, you know, mountainous states because they just have great training and running at mountains and stuff, but not flat Oklahoma, I guess. It's, it's kind of, I don't know. I just, a lot of people back home, they run, you know, that do this, they run up and down mountains and stuff you know they don't i guess out here it's kind of perfect because it's flat but you don't think you're going to breed amazing runners from i guess flying and i just it's just a bit odd that all these oklahoma athletes have done so well uh is there anyone that kind of stood out to you that just missed out on a little bit like on that one day that you're like oh this guy probably should go but he did have a bad two. day there's two two joe dow and the hurdler jim bowling yes both of those guys were like number one in the world for several years, broke records and everything. But neither one of those guys made the Olympic team. Yeah. Because it didn't happen on that day. Yeah. It's amazing. And I know it's frustrating it for them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Talking with Joe, especially in the pole vault, he set a few world records in the pole vault. And he just said there were days where he thought he could, there was nobody on this planet who could get in his way. And then you would go out and nothing worked. <laughs> Whether it was you were tight and couldn't get loose or the, the equipment or the setup, you know, there was always something. So that's the beauty of athletics, right? Yeah. You've got to compete no matter what, no matter what the talking heads say, mm -hmm. no matter what your ranking is on that day, you got to show up. And the, that's the, the beauty of track and field is it's based on performance and if you don't perform you don't make it and you know a lot of the sports you're depending on judges and stuff and uh, so if you make it in track and field then I think you know you made it on your merits and not on what somebody thought yeah and, that, and, that, and that's a good thing if um, we've got someone listening that's in, you know, that's in athletics that wants to get into it, that's a parent that has kids that wants to get into it, 
any any advice closing remarks i i think that when kids are young they need to be exposed to several things and uh by doing that then you know they can determine what they like or what they're good at and then start specializing a little bit later on i think a lot of uh parents uh get excited about something and they push their kids into something maybe the kids don't enjoy or they push them too hard and they, there's burnout and stuff like that. But I think uh, by getting them a variety of experiences, then they can uh, kind of decide what they're good at and what they like, and then they're more likely to be successful. All right. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, I, I, if I ever have kids, I'm going to put them... I'm a golfer, so they're probably going to play golf sometime, but just as an excuse so I can go to the golf course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think that these days kids have to try as many sports as possible, and it's we live in a great state that there is that opportunity out here, that there is sports everywhere. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I want to thank you for coming in today and sharing, sharing, our, sharing the story with us. It's, uh, it's amazing everything you've done, uh, and I can't wait to hear a friend probably going to get in an Uber and he's like, hey, you never guessed who drove me around today, <laughs> you know? But um, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's phenomenal, the things you've done. And um, Justin, how do people come down to see this place? What, you know, to see all of Jeff's stuff and, and learn more about that? Yeah, what can they do? We're, uh, we're the Jim Thorpe Museum, Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame. We're located at 20 South Mickey Mantle Drive. In Oklahoma City, I always say it's the old coach's restaurant. We're literally out in left field of the ballpark. Uh, we sit right off Flaming Lips Alley and Mickey Mantle Drive, right above the team shop. Uh, we're, I always tell people we're like the beauty parlor, Tuesday through Saturday from 10 to 5. So feel free to come by and check us out. We also have things av available by appointment if those times don't work out. If you got a school group, a group of retirees, we do adult kid programs throughout the facility. So we'd love to have you up here, tell Jeff's story and the other 185 members of the Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, we really have some great stories to tell. Awesome. Well, again, Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time out. My and pleasure. It's always good to, to relate that story and maybe something I said will inspire some young person to follow their dreams. Awesome. Hopefully some kid in Vanita is listening right now, right? <laughs> That's right. Awesome. <laughs> Definitely. Go Hornets. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, again, thanks so much. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. And uh, we'll definitely catch you next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram. This podcast was produced by Mike Hearn and Ian Weston. Mixed by Alan Brown with music by Chad Duro.